When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Doc Coyle, welcome to the show. Always a pleasure to talk to you. Thank you for making time for this on a on a Saturday afternoon. Well, I just uh, always appreciate you having me on. I mean, you're, you're one of the guys like that. Uh, even though, oh, this thing is. <laughs> see, it, the, my Twitch is is going off while I'm over here. Um, no, no, but you're you're one of the guys that even though we're we're buddies, I also like watch you a lot and listen to a lot of your stuff. So I feel like in half the time I'm, I want to chime in, but I can't. <laughs> Wait a minute. Well, I'm just going to, we'll get into this later. I'm just going to open myself a, a nice cold uh, um, diet Coke, caffeine-free diet Coke. I'm not a Bud Light guy. <laughs> <laughs> I literally don't remember the last time I had, I had a Bud Light. And I'm not one of, I'm not one of those people that will like, uh, you know, do the inverse like cancer, yeah. like, I'm gonna buy 20 cases to <laughs> to to own. I've probably only had beer 10 times in my entire life, so it means nothing to me. You're gonna live to be 100, all right? Me, I'll, yeah, I hope I so. It, if I make it pit to 60, it'll be a, be a great uh, victory. <laughs> I hope so. Well, I have I have a lot of questions for you, but let's just jump right into the culture wars because because <laughs> why not? <laughs> so you had Phil on, and it's like I have to get the uh, the the, uh, the the alternate take. And by the way, I love that episode. That was great. Thank you. Yeah, I really like that one too. Well, I, I wanted to get your perspective on this because um, this is something I have really changed my mind about in the past five years or so, which is I never really thought that racism was an issue in metal until the past five years or so, which in hindsight was probably because, you know, as a white guy, obviously it's not going to affect me. But from reading my comments and seeing how really negatively people react to any time I bring up the idea that racism exists in metal. It, it's become very obvious to me, at least my perception is that there actually is quite a bit of it in metal specifically. And I, I say not uh, punk and hardcore to me are different. I think it's specifically a metal thing. Um, I don't think I've seen you talk about this very much, but as someone who's obviously going to have a very different experience for me, what is your take on that, and how much of an issue do you think racism is in metal? Well, I think it's difficult to extrapolate that from just the recent trends in not just America, but the world in conversations about race. Like, a lot of this stuff, you know, I grew up in the 80s, all right? The 80s was, like, Cosby Show and Michael Jackson, and, like, we were kind of taught growing up in the 80s, and, dude, I'm, I'm biracial, right? I had a black mother, white father, I had, I had a very grew up in a very racially diverse environment. And I was like almost taught like racism was something in the past. You know? Right. So that was like how I kind of came up. And in, in a weird, in a weird I, way, I was watching the Fresh Prince and you know, MTV raps and it just, I, I didn't, I, it didn't occur to me at all until like NWA and stuff came out that that was like an issue. Yeah. And, um, you know, and I think in a weird way, like ironically, Obama getting elected was almost like ground zero for a new kind of like um, it like unearthed all of this stuff that was kind of like just under the surface about conversations about race um, 
in a, you know, in positive ways and negative ways. It was just this mm-hmm. thing that I think, and it wasn't, the truth was in the eighties, racism existed. We were just the, the, uh, cultural environment was to just not talk about it. Right. And I think a lot of stuff was festering underneath the surface for, for a lot of years. And that stuff manifested itself in a lot of ways. And I think how that has manifested itself in the metal scene is just really a, a kind of more, a finer point of a bigger thing that's happened in society in general. Right. And so what has happened, you know, really this whole uh, kind of move towards this new activism around race really started around like 2014, you know, post yeah. um, Michael Brown and Freddie Gray and all, you know, and all that stuff. And that kind of, swelled up you know into like the conversation about trumpism and maga and that how that relates to race and all that stuff just you know all the, these subcultures i don't care if it's metal or edm or whatever uh you know th- we're all like uh affected by what's going on in the broader culture yeah but there is a nazi subgenre of metal and there's at least to my knowledge there isn't like Nazi pop punk or Nazi techno sure. or well that's so but that's so that's my my kind of other point and this and I and I have written about this a little bit when I was writing for VH1 is that metal in particular is um it's kind of cultural through line is European right you know and that because that's where you know uh, heavy metal was started you know basically in Birmingham England you know by Black Sabbath and Judas Priest and you know I know uh you know Iron Maiden ones are from Birmingham but like you know Motorhead like all that stuff. And then you look at kind of the second wave of that. A lot of those bands are coming from Germany. A lot of those bands come from Scandinavia. And I think um, that, you know, and even in America, right, the metal bands that were, you know, the whole kind of, you know, thrash movement that, you know, burgeoned in white suburbs, you know, that's who was kind of connecting to that, right. uh, to, to that movement. And it's kind of this thing that's spoken or it's unspoken, this idea that like, this is the music for us. Well, sometimes it is spoken, which is the part that shocked me. Yeah. Is, well, you know, I'll see people in the comments being like, well, the reason why rock's not popular anymore is because they're trying to exterminate white culture. And I'm like, and there's like hundreds of people saying this. And I'm like, whoa, I had no idea that there was like people who actually thought this. Well, but I listen, I just think the internet and social media has a way of magnifying very small movements but but i get it but it's like thousands if i see thousands of people commenting this like how many people do we have to see before it's well no no but we, what but what i'm saying is like the the, in, the internet magnifies things like on a um aesthetic level but also on a real level so the uh flat earthers right was a yeah. very small thing 12 years ago but because of the internet, there's more flat earthers. Right. But what I'm saying is like dead ideologies get right. life. So like, you know, like this idea of Kanye West, be, Kanye West being an anti-Semite only right. exists because the ecosphere of the internet tends to kind of like recycle old ideas. And I think we have, um, uh, we're, we're in a very contrarian uh, ecosphere where the, the, mo- the more contrarian the view, the more interesting your scene and the truth is like going along with like the status quo is not interesting saying something and so because we have an economy of attention you have to say the craziest shit to get anyone to pay attention to you and so i think it's like you know a a big reason why we're in this mode of like 
uh, you know, going back to 2016, it's like uh, conservatism is, is the new punk rock. It's that we have broad consensus on some basic shit now, right? It's like, just be nice to minorities is the consensus, right? So the way you'd be a rebel is to do the opposite of that. And then now you're interesting. And now you're like, I'm against this. Edgy. Right. And then that's the kind of the weird thing about consensus is when like consensus is really reasonable. The only way you can be interesting is to be unreasonable. And so, (laughs) yeah. (laughs) So I, I just, I just think, uh, you know, I'm not saying that stuff is, isn't true. I think it's always been there, whether you're talking about black metal and, you know, and I, I watched, I think one of the videos you did about talking about racism and, you know, being God forbid, you know, my band was, you know, majority black band, which, by the way, I never thought of, God forbid, as like a black fronted metal band or whatever until people started sort of saying that after the fact. Do you know what I mean? Like, but I that, feel but like I, it, it was our calling card, though. If you re- read like the first bio that um, Central Media did for us, you know, it was it leaned kind of heavily into that. I see. Um, you know, and it was something like I said, it wasn't just like we had a black singer, like, you know, we, you know, our drummer was black, me and my brother, yeah. uh, bi- biracial. Um, and it's, and what, what I'm saying is it's actually a lot more complex than there's racism in metal. Because actually I think, I think the predominant bulk of metal heads, right. What that are, you know, generally white men, right. Yeah. They actually almost do the opposite. Like they're actually like, it's more likely they will tokenize someone and be like really yes. super excited that yes. like, they're like, well, I like the fact that I love seven dust. Yes, <laughs> it's I, always how, seven does. How is is a reflection of how racist I'm not, and I'm not saying that yeah. they are racist. I'm saying like they, right. they're these are good people. Like you know, yeah. the, the one thing that's kind of cool about uh, having this job is you get to um, go see the country, and you get to see Middle America, you get to see down south, and all these. You know, if you're you know like me, like me, you're from New Jersey, you live in LA, you live in all these kind of metropolitan places. There's a lot of uh, stereotypes that go on that really like, I think is detrimental to like our yep. national conversation about, you know, that we focus way more on our differences than we do on the things we have in common. And, uh, you know, I think it's, it's really, I, I really enjoyed that fact that I can kind of like have it, not that I'm some like elitist or I'm some like in this, some sphere, but you know, the lifestyles are very different, but being able to like, when you're in metal, you're entrenched in like the blue collar, kind of you know the regular joe kind of white communities that's mostly that's predominantly what it is and it's not like i said i don't think it's like a segregation thing it's just this is just generally who tends to like this music and i don't think there's like anything insidious about that you know i think most people kind of lean with with good intentions but it's i think i just think we unfortunately uh collectively we don't have a great handle on how we discuss race and I think the real downside of like the BLM movement and all the stuff that happened in, in 2020 is it's just like intensified things. And it's very yeah. like, you know, it's like you, you're one of those and you're, and it's like, you know, on and, both sides. Yes. And, but that's what I'm saying. It's like, if you have one group of people that say everyone's racist and you have one group of people that says no one is racist, then they're both, yeah. they're clearly both wrong, but right. sifting through that is like, it's just very tough. And now everyone is, if you're entrenched in a position, you're so defensive, right? You're so fucking defensive and locked up in your fucking thing. It's like, 
it, it's just very difficult to have a have, have have a conversation. And my views, you know, about it. Yes, there's a lot of that from personal experience. We gotta keep in mind, man. When you're when you're biracial and you're mixed, motherfuckers don't know what you are. They say, "What Pakistani or fucking Mexican or Honduran? No one knows what I am." You know, my like, my proud Honduran brother. I'm glad to see another one of us in the scene. Exactly. You're like, like, eh, like okay. <laughs> and and I always say, like, you know, there's white privilege. There's also light privilege, right? Where right. like, you know, people didn't treat me the same way they treated Byron, our singer. By the way, I had no idea that existed until like four years ago. Yeah, I mean, but why would you? Because why would I? Yeah, like, like you know, we don't, I, I don't think we offer a lot of charity to the fact that like lived experience is like highly subjective and, uh, you know, and, and empathy has its limitations, right? Like, it's just, you know, there's not going to be a, <laughs> a VR <laughs> walkthrough like, yo, man. Live like a black new person. <laughs> that, that would uh, <laughs> uh, <laughs> that'd be an interesting one. <laughs> yeah, but you know, uh, no way to do that one without making everybody angry. Yeah, but like the thing is, I always try to like explain to people it's just so much more subtle, right? Like yeah. I can't point to you know I'm someone that you know my dad was like, as you know, as it, to quote a a great comedian said to the left of Lenin. You know, my dad, uh -huh. was like, you know. Very lefty, lefty, but also, ver but like, you know, not actually, he wasn't like a socialist or anything. He was more just like a, a you know, Kennedy Democrat kind of, kind of vibe. But um, he, uh, you know, really into history. And like I said, he was this guy who, who had two kids with a black lady in the early eighties, you know, very divergent, but very seeped in black culture and really cared about that stuff, really educated me a lot about that stuff, you know, civil rights and stuff. So I, I have a lot of, a lot of that has really seeped into my my personality and things i kind of want to stand for because i do think it is a uh a moral good you know of what occurred during the, that era and moving us forward like one of the things that really bothers me about the kind of um more like black power lefty stance of today is like this idea that no progress has been made that just yeah right it, it, because it's it's like it's a very cynical way to look at the world and just only count your losses but not count your wins cynical and inaccurate and just wrong but that yes but 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 it also is a matter of focus right it's like yeah. i'm just going to focus on what's not working instead of what has worked and i just and i i just it just bothers me so so it's i do i do think it's a complex conversation and there's a lot of there's so much new i mean everything's nuanced but this is extremely nuanced and it's in you know and i i enjoy talking about these issues you know and i feel i'm in a position to kind of educate people because i'm telling you being biracial does give you a vantage point because i'm not rooting for anyone you know a lot there's a lot of uh <laughs> there's a lot of uh biracial people who tend to like identify one way or the other right like no yeah. one ever calls brock obama the first biracial president they call him the first right. president right and that's something that you know people that you know biracial people have to deal with in their lives of like figuring out which who am i where do i and i've always just kind of Try to ride right in the middle. You know what I'm saying? I'm white on some shit, I'm black on some other shit, you know? And sometimes you'll see me switch like, oh shit, that's white doc. There's I mean, I have <laughs> my son is due next month and he's going to be, you know, half Vietnamese and half white. And it just sort of occurred to me the other day, like, oh yeah, he's not really going to look exactly like me. That's interesting. Yeah, it's going to be better. He's going to be better than you, you know? That's the thing. That's the thing about the kids, <laughs> man. They, 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 they're the new improved version. It's the new formula, you know? It's like that, 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 that new 
diet diet coke with no caffeine right well my <laughs> wife's also a lot better looking than me so that helps there you go well, that's what i'm saying one thing i've always appreciated about you on that note is that you know you certainly have a lot of opinions on politics and social issues and i think you know pretty strong ones but you've always been a very tolerant person too of other points of view, which is very refreshing to me, given the current environment where you, like you said, you know, people on both sides just want to like demonize each other and paint each other in the worst possible light. Um, you know, and like, so, you know, you're a pretty progressive person, but you were in a band with Tommy Vexed for years, who is obviously not. And I know you play, he was shows a lot of apolitical most time I knew him, by the way. So okay. that, that well, was a very, that happened very late and very rapidly. So Got it. Okay. Well, that's uh, okay. Noted. Um, but you've also played a lot of shows with bands where I think you probably don't agree with them on a lot of that stuff. Um, how do you think about that? And why is that so rare these days? I don't think it's that rare. Like one of the things, so one of the things I listened when I was listening to your conversation with um, Phil that I disagreed with was you guys kind of were in lockstep on this idea that there's this like, uh, one way most of the metal or heavy music community thinks and like fills mm -hmm. this huge divergent and it's just not the case it's i think the truth is most artists especially don't voice their true opinions because they don't want to face any backlash but i think yeah. it's pretty mixed i think it's very mixed. Okay. i think there's you know a lot of people that are pretty right-wing that don't really talk about it there's a lot of you know, middle very left because they don't want to deal with, deal with the backlash. And I understand that. Like, I almost feel like it's a, like I have, a, it's a burden of feeling like you have something to contribute that you almost feel like if I don't say something that, that like right. this, this pool is so muddy that if I don't put a little chlorine in here, it's like, you know, but it's also like, it's like pissing in the ocean. Like, are you really having, yeah. probably, probably not, but it's like, let me do, do something a little bit to kind of, yeah. Make to clarify, the way I feel is that of the people in the metal scene who express their opinions online, I feel like the vast, vast majority of them are on the left. And that's my perception, whether that's true or not. I don't know, but that's how it feels to me. Um, listen, I, I don't have like some, uh, you know, detail meter. Yeah, yeah. Like, you know what, what it is. I think a lot of that is kind of self-sorting based on it might have to do with a lot that you're more probably aligned with hardcore and punk and kind of scene yeah. where I think that leans very much in that direction. But in the world I'm in the world of the five finger death punches, and yeah. <laughs> the stains and stuff like that. I right. think there's actually um, market forces that actually would say it's more in your favor to lean the other way. I think you're right about that. You know what I'm saying? So I think it is a lot more diverse than that. Um, and I think, again, this goes back to what I said before. Uh, contrarian opinions are more valued in in the internet spaces than ones up the middle. So, yep. I don't know if you've seen Phil. His social media does pretty fucking well, and when he tweets, it does he gets a lot yes. of attention. And he's now working in the you know the media, uh, you know, world because of those opinions and because it has yep. tra tracked well. But you know, um, you know, uh, I'm sorry, I kind of like lost lost the thread of uh, you, you were saying. Go back to the well, it was just, a, just a, my, my question is basically, you know, that I think you're one of the people who is very tolerant and able yeah. to be friends with and okay. work with people who you don't necessarily agree with, which I think is awesome. Yeah. And there's a lot of people who dig in their heels and won't do that. Um, and I guess, you know, how, how do you think about that? And 
my perception is that that's a rare thing. You're saying maybe it's not so rare, but how do you yeah, think about because that? Because I think a lot of I think those divisions exist within bands all the time. Like, do you think all yeah. God forbid or all vote for the same people? No, you know. So I'm used to that, and it's a lot. And and I can name other bands where it's like that too. And I'm like, but again, a lot of people are kind of they don't like to put their their stuff yeah. out there because they don't want the kind of attention, which I totally understand. But to me, the reason why is I think for since pretty much, you know, late, you know, tw the beginning of the 2010s, the biggest problem in this country and by virtue, like the Western world has been um, divisiveness, mm -hmm. the number one problem. But the problem is no one sees that. They like, that was the reason why we liked Obama. He's like, I'm going to bring people together. White America, red America, blue, you know, remember that speech and he gave in like 2000, yeah. uh, whatever year he gave that speech, 2006, I think, or four, you know, that was the whole thing. But when we realize, like, oh, he's just a guy. He's not going to yeah. fix the world. He's not this pie-in-the-sky thing of this hope and change. And we thought, you know, it's like, no, it's just he's a president. And the world keeps going on. And they're not saviors. They're not superheroes. They're just people. They're doing their best. But we're the ones that have to fix us, right? Like, it's, it falls on us. It's not going to be a leader. It's not going to be, like, so I'm of the mind that, you know, in a weird way, like, you know, uh, minorities have always had to deal with certain adversity and pushback, right? And then these kind of right-wing ideologies became so unpopular within the, the mainstream, they became minority. So now they yeah. know what it's like to be a minority. <laughs> <laughs> Wait a minute, this sucks. <laughs> yeah, and so they that's how they behave. Like they they behave like like they're like they're the ugly redheaded stepchild, and they have a chip on their shoulder, but what the you know the the kind of moderate left you know metropolitan left who like run you know who is at the forefront of universities and media and a lot of corporate infrastructure yeah. um what they need to realize is you can't li let those people out to pasture you have to bring them into the fold you know and this goes and i think this and so it's like you gotta have i think you have to have compassion for people who have fucked up views because they got there somehow. They didn't get there yeah. on their own, you know? And, uh, you know, and the more you push them away, the further to the extreme they're going to go, you know? And so, and, and so, and by the way, and, I'm, and when I, and I have friends, you know, dude, like me and Zoltan from Five Finger, we've had great conversations and debates where we're, but we're, but I look at it like we're sharing ideas. Like the, my, the point yeah. is I shouldn't go to a contentious conversation and go, I'm going to convince them. It's no, I'm not, I, I should go there to learn something because I respect him as a, as a person. And I know he's a smart guy. He, you know, he grew up, you know, in a communist country and he has a perspective that's different than mine. Mm -hmm. No things I don't know, you know? And I think the problem is we just assume, and this is like, you know, despite me being kind of maybe the left of, of center to, to some degree, I was a lot more partisan when I was younger, but I, but I always think that's the dumbest way to think because you're just like, well, Clearly, my side has we're right with these hundred things. We're right on all a hundred of them, right? And it's like, you know, it, it. It. But when you when you operate in good faith, and realize that the person that you disagree with probably got there from you know good reasons, but you know, and you still might disagree at the end of it. They didn't. They're not intentions are rarely bad, you know. Um, and I think being able to sift through the people with good intentions and bad intentions is really important. You know, and that's something that uh, I, I I try. Listen, I can give you a list of 
media figures who I think do not operate in good faith. Yeah. Um, well, speaking not- of the Bud Light thing, to me, that's like this, this Bud Light thing is a perfect example of what you're talking about. To me, I don't want to put words in your mouth, but people operating in bad intentions, like the, the controversy about this is like the current thing, you know, about them putting a trans person on the can, which I'm sure everyone will forget about in two weeks. And I have a hard time thinking that the vast majority of these people on the right who are outraged about it are really that upset about it, you know? And like, I called out Phil yesterday because he put out some posts about it, like kind of waving it on. And I was like, I was like, I, I said, you're better than this. Because have you ever, and I'm sure you noticed this right away, the way Phil, and I said, I love Phil. Like, that's my homie. Like, everything I'm saying right now, I would say to Phil, right? Yeah. Things, I would say we've had, we've had three-hour uh, debates on my, on, my, on my podcast, you know, um, is that I know he doesn't care. I know, because he's too smart for that. He's too decent for that. But Phil's caught up in the fucking, it's like, it's like a riot, right? Like, People who like they do they they do a riot and they're like then all of a sudden they come to like the Incredible Hulk after he like he's like yeah. he's in the woods with it. it's like you're just caught up in the fervor because you because it's like it's the thing this week it's the I big- mean I do it all the time when MGK says something I don't give a fucking shit what he said about anything but. I know that it'll get clicks if I talk about it, so I do it, and I am certain. And I'm not talking about Phil in particular. Anyone, any, I, I find I, Ben Shapiro, I think, actually is a transphobe. Yeah. So I think he might actually care about it. But aside from the small number of people who are actual transphobes, I don't think anybody cares. I think they just play it up to get clicks so they can, you know, have this sense of righteous indignation, and. uh and and it really worries me that it seems like this gets worse and worse every year. Well, here's what, listen, I'm, I feel like one of my, like, I probably should quit music and just go into like political analysis. Cause I think it's probably. Yeah. Because it's so much easier. No, but I think I'm really good at it. Like, I think I, I, like, I think so. Yeah. Like, I think it's, it's something that actually interests me. And I think I see angles that a lot of other people don't because I'm like, I'm not, I'm not invested in any team. So I yeah. kind of back away and go, okay. Cause and the, the thing about politics and I go, like I said, when you're like, I'm like an old school political junkie. Like dude used to watch like, you know, uh, what was that guy? Chris, Chris oh, I forget, oh, his name was on like MSNBC. I forget his name, but I would, you know, I'd watch like morning Joe. Like I would like, yeah. Yeah. But really, Did you ever get into C-SPAN? Did you go that deep? Nah, maybe, well, it depends who, who, who was on, but uh, sometimes I'd watch the, the Sunday shows, but like, the problem is you have this very kind of extreme who people don't. And this is the, this is the problem with people who are far in one lane or extreme one lane, but they don't realize it. They think they're the center. This is the problem. Yeah. Everyone thinks they're the center. So they have, they have right. like, it's like their, their, their political compass is broken and they don't, they don't really, really know where they are. But to me, this is a moral panic and moral yeah. panics happen all the time. Right. This, this, it reminds me what's happening now is very similar to what happened post 9-11 in the conversation around Muslim people, right? They were the end, you know, 24 was the big show on TV and they were always bad guys in in, in the movies. And it was like, it was just. And Russians in the eighties. Yeah. But well, but at least Russia, like. At least Russia actually was kind of bad. Well, not they were specifically bad, but it was the the Cold War was a real thing and it lasted a really long time. And we got, you know, Vietnam was about, communism and the Korean war was about communism and the 
Cuban Missile Crisis of all these things you could point to that that was relevant. The, the, but what what I'm saying is this group that is really caught up in the trans thing, right? Yeah, kind of start. I'm, I don't know if it started with Chappelle, but it was like an opening salvo to make it this mainstream thing. But I I think it's it's just people are caught up. They're caught up, and now and once yes. you go, it's I'm protecting the kids, right? Anything is justified, right? Like if you go and someone like uh, you know molested your kid or or like kidnapped your kid, and you went and like literally chopped the person's head off, they throw a parade for you. Yes, you're doing it. So we are very okay with doing really horrible things for good reasons. Yeah, for for moral reasons. It's like ju- or that things that are that, that are justified. So once you kind of create that, it's and, and to me, it's a very it's almost identical to the abortion conversation, which is yeah. like these people hate women. No, in their mind, they're saving babies. Right. So it's the same thing. So the problem is we just focus on on different things. So they don't think. I hate trans people. They're like, I'm just trying to save the children. Right. Um, but they are caught up in it. But the, and the truth is, I'm sorry, y'all. Like, I got looked right into the camera. You do hate trans people. <laughs> you do. A fair amount of them do. Yeah. You do. You, you do hate. L- listen, I mean, it's, you know, it's unfortunate. And I think it's me. It's a conversation that we shouldn't be having. I think doctors and psychologists, and psychiatrists, and those are the people, these are medical issue, issues. But but to your point, you as a media pundit, you can't opt out. You can't be like, you know, I don't feel like I'm qualified to have an opinion on this. I'm going to leave this one to the doctors. But we should. That, we should. That, that would but, be- but you can't, and that's what that's the thing that disturbs me. Um. Yeah, well, like a lot of times, I think often, like let's say there's like a you know, a mass shooting or a terrorist event or something that's like very immediate and prescient. Usually, and it's a news story. Usually you have the least amount of information and you're the most emotionally yeah. caught up in it. So it's actually the worst time to voice an opinion about it. What you want to do is calm down, let a couple of days pass, let more information come in because usually a lot of the early reporting will be wrong, right? It's like, oh, we thought the person, the suspect was this. We thought, this many people got killed, but it turned out it was, it was this. But again, now we're all our own little CNN, right? We're all our own little vestige point for uh, for opinions. And, and the truth is, what is our uh, incentive? Hello, it is Ryan. And I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on Chumbacasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me. And you know what they were doing? They're also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void. we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Attention. Yeah. Right. So, yeah. and like I said, and if you're good at it and you get enough attention and you're, you're entertaining, you can be some like Phil who can actually have a career in that realm even even me like out you know before bad wolves was going i was writing a lot about politics mm-hmm. you know and and i enjoyed it and i felt like i had something to say and, and i almost thought that maybe i was going to go more in that realm of kind of be- ready for a head-bangingly good time dive into the world of heavy metal with the brutally delicious podcast here 
We don't just talk music. We welcome you into our heavy metal family. Join us for candid chats with legends and rising stars. We go beyond the typical interviews, exploring raw emotions and the life-altering impact of heavy metal. So whether you're a diehard metalhead or just curious, join our family and let the headbanging begin with the Brutally Delicious Podcast. Being someone who does, uh, you know, just is in more in that world and kind of speaking on social issues, speaking on politics, speaking on racial issues. Um, but but from my angle, which is to be not like hyperbolic, to kind of right. do something uh, sensible and compassionate. Like I think, you, like I said, you got to be compassionate for the people you disagree with. I don't though this kind of, you know, far into the spectrum of like, dude, they're in a war. That's why these people like the Tim pools, these people, they're like always talking about the civil war. It's like, <laughs> you, if you turned off your Twitter, if you stopped going on YouTube and you just went outside, you'd be like, there ain't no civil war. People yeah. going to work. It's just, look, I look out here. There's this, you know, this mail truck going by yep. bar over here. They're having fun. It's no civil in war. In the real world, nobody gives a shit about any of the stuff they're yapping about on Twitter. Yeah. But the, but, but that's the thing about this whole, the, the, the moral panic around trans people is a group of people that is, is uh, eternal. Like they are online. Like they are just like, they are. Yeah. In that, that well, I think there's also people on the left who are convinced that there's like a war on trans people that doesn't exist either. Although there is definitely real transphobia and I don't mean to downplay that. Well, I, I mean, think all, that all you got to do, dude, I'm, I'm sorry. I have to push back there. I mean, Michael Knowles went on stage at CPAC and was like, we need to eliminate transgenderism from public life. And Matt Walsh also, by the way, this is the worst thing about Ben Shapiro. Matt Walsh is a crazy person. I want to go on record as saying that. But what I'm saying is Ben, they are all Daily Wire people. So what, yeah. what Ben Shapiro does, is he gets plausible deniability of being the sensible conservative, but then he employs his hatchet men who go out there and deploy like the, the actual agenda. And people accused uh, Michael Knowles of, oh, well, you're trying to uh, exterminate transgender people. Well, no, I'm trying to exterminate transgenderism. And I go, well, what is, is that a distinction? I'm not trying to exterminate black people. I'm just trying to exterminate blackness. Blackness, yeah. And, but the thing is, so ideas, and this is why I brought up the Chappelle thing, is that, you know, someone said politics is downstream from culture. That yeah. Chappelle mainstreamed this idea of othering trans people that they're kind of like, hey, this group of people is kind of like, we got to keep our eye on, eye, eye on them. You know? Yeah, I think he actually does. Um, I, I think he actually does. I don't know if hate is the right word, but uh, he doesn't like trans people. I, well, I, he doesn't. I dude, I think if you were to talk to, I love Dave Chappelle. And if he, if he, if he was playing down the street, I would buy a ticket. And if I, he, yeah, he's hilarious. Special, I'll watch it. He, he's, I think he's the best comedian of all time. I think he's a genius, but like all geniuses, geniuses are not geniuses about everything. They're geniuses about a few yeah. things. And then, they have blind spots. And I and I I think if you were to talk to Chappelle, I think he's a really thoughtful guy. I think he is a really um someone who cares about people and tries to be open-minded. I just think Chappelle, like a lot of men of his age, um they don't understand it. Yeah. They just yeah. don't. And by the way, they're probably not gonna understand it. Like if you were of a certain age when, like, you know, post Civil War. And also, like, the, like, imagine you were like, you lived during slave times, and the first time you saw an actual interracial couple walking around, you're like, you, you, you just couldn't understand it. You'd be like, <laughs> what? how could that? And I, and I think 
it's just going to take time because like I said, I think this is a medical and scientific and a, and a, yeah. and a psychological thing that is beyond my skill. Like, like it's like me having an opinion on this is like about the actual like ins and outs of how it works and what the actual details of it is like me having an opinion on nuclear physics. Do you know what I'm yeah. saying? Like I have no frame of reference. All I can do is talk to people I know who are trans and hear their stories. I can read, you know, I can, and I try to be open-minded about it. Right. Cause every now and again, you'll have a, an article about someone who detransitioned and says it was a terrible experience and they were pressured. And I try to take it all in. I don't just try and be ideological. Yeah. I'm with these people. I mean, I think it's a tough issue. I think there's so much emotions, but I, but what I do agree with you on is here's the truth. They just, is not that many trans people in the world. Yeah. And, and, and the vast majority of normal people don't care one way or the other. Yeah. I think it's a losing issue. For the right wing, I think this is going to be, I think it's going to blow up in their face. They're going to be on the wrong side of it for sure. Well, I think in the long run, I think they will, but I think actually electorally, I think in 2024, I think they think this is going to be like their, uh, you know, uh, was that, it was the the Mexican caravan in the 2020. Oh yeah. Right. (laughs) There's the invasion, right? It's this thing that they, cause it's, it's fear. It's, it's, it's selling fear. And I know, listen, I know the left wing has the shit that they're selling. That's fear based as well. But it, it's, it's, I, I just think they're so caught up in it. It's a fervor, you know? Yeah. Um, and, it, you know, and, and it's in the long run, I just think it's, you know, I think people are out just doing their thing. They're like, we're, I know like three trans people, like I know more people have died from COVID. <laughs> well, I, I know a lot of trans people, which a, a lot of them, uh, transitioned after I knew them and I would just see on Facebook like oh this person used to be Jeremy and now it's Jenny I'm like oh that's interesting um, and this has happened to me probably 15 times or something over the last decade yeah. and uh, that was really uh, I'm really grateful for that experience because I actually know a lot of trans people which I don't think most people do and I don't know them because they're trans I just happen to know them and they are trans yeah um, and so because of that, I think I have a different perspective on it than a lot of people. It's not like an abstract issue to me. There's some of these people I've known for 10 or 15 years. And, uh, you know, it's really, it's, it's a non, it's kind of a non issue to me, if that makes sense. Yeah. That's what I thing that if we weren't talking about it, we wouldn't be talking about it. Yeah. Like it's, it's up to them. Like how, you know, you're trans. Well, that's kind of your, that's your thing to think about. Not mine, you know? Like, yeah. I don't need to have an opinion on it. Yeah, I just, it's, um, and that's what I'm saying. It, it, I think eventually it'd be kind of like a, a snake eating its own tail. Um, you know, but I, but I do think it does affect people. I think when you, you, you like. The- I've never seen something that gets people this fucking whipped up into a frenzy. It's weird. Well, I just, listen, the Bud Light thing is the, is so emblematic of what is going on it, it's a like beer can right by the way that never came out i think well there's was, like one of them it was never supposed to come out yeah it was just and, it's like literally one can but what i don't see and by the way it's just like i think dylan mulvaney is just super annoying like i was actually trying yeah. to think of like if you were to take another minority <laughs> <and> like <laughs> who is the dylan mulvaney of that 
I know, like I don't know if it's like I'm like juicy like, Smollett or whatever. Yeah, or yeah. I don't know, like like flavor flavor or something. Like I don't know, right, like, right. Flavor, flavor, but I'm just saying, like someone who's kind of like just Professor Griff, <laughs> just someone that's just kind of silly, and maybe everyone like all the black people, are like I don't know, that's our that's <laughs> right. our best representative. We're we're kind of putting out there, but the truth is, like the, I think one of the biggest fallacies I, I, I talk about this on Twitter all the time is like what a lot of the right wing thinks corporations doing is woke is just them trying to make money oh yeah that's all it is yeah they don't they don't give a fuck about trans people you know they're just trying to they just want that sweet tiktok cash that's yeah they want they want to they're trying to market to younger more diverse people to make more money because guess what they're number one right so that's like right when you're number one you're trying to just expand right like when scion would like sponsor ringworm shows and stuff it's the same thing good times those are good times (laughs) <laughs> that's right that's those uh, scion bucks i have a scion it's a great car right and it gets continued it. so it's it's so solid. travesty well l- like let me switch gears yeah, that's right <laughs> well on that note let me switch gears to talk about some music stuff sure um and uh a- a- as you know i've been a fan of metalcore for a very long time since back in the 90s you know you guys sent me the god forbid demo way back in 98 or whatever it was 99 i don't remember um but uh, these days, I can't think of a genre of rock that is more boring and uninspiring to me than, than current metalcore. And I don't want to name any names, but, you know, all the Octane stuff and pretty much all the progressive metalcore kind of bands, just I, 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 I think there are two problems with it. Number one, and I want to get your thoughts on this. Number one, I think metalcore lost any kind of connection to hardcore, the core part of it which to me is where a lot of the groove and energy and, and lyrics came from. And number two is guitarist, guitarists making music for other guitarists. Um, that's my opinion on it. And obviously there are millions of people who love this stuff. So I'm only one person, but what are, what are your thoughts on that? Um, well, I think it's very difficult to actually put the finger on what, what is metalcore now. I think it means like, maybe about 10 different things to different, to different yep. people. Um, but it's funny. It's funny that you, there's part of that. I, I do agree with in that there is a kind of like sameness in the auditory palette that everyone's yeah. drawing from um, in terms of low tune guitars, certain groups, yep. it's like uh, electronic elements being utilized in the same way. Um, and I, to what it reminds me of is like, at the kind of peak of new metal that yeah. any band that was doing that sound was blowing up and like, dude, and right now you're having a wave. We're just, dude, I, so I live about half hour from the Anaheim house of blues and dude, and any hot new uh, metal core band that plays over there sells it out. Under Oath just sold sure. it out. Um, August Burns Red just sold it out. Fit for a King just sold it out. Wage Wars playing there next week. That'll probably be sold out. And if you were to take, you know, a lot of those bands, like, they're they're different but it's of the same ilk right and it's like it's all this shit is flying high like yep. and i think there's just there's a lot of quality and to me though the bands that are rising above all that are the ones who are doing different things you know it's turnstile like turnstile is very much of the hardcore scene but they're, they're not really metalcore though no but it's but they're to me i don't look at it like as metalcore i just look at it as like heavy music 
because I, I'm specifically talking about metalcore. The stuff yeah. you're talking about with the low tune guitars and Linkin Park choruses and the yeah. the wheelie wheelie riffs. I'm just like, guys, enough. I get it. Like we've been doing this for 15 fucking but years now. Bigger, I get but, it. But it's bigger now. But what I'm saying is the incentive is that that's that's what people want to hear right now. Yeah. You know, and so if you and and the thing is, if you have good songs and you look good and you sound good live, and a lot of these bands too, it's not like they came out last week. They've kind of yeah. it's taken them 15 years to kind of finally get out there and, and have and have this success. And it's like it's kind of what the people want. But I do hear you. Totally. Like I've personally like um you know you had Matt from Event Sevenfold on on your show. Yeah. And um, I, I I spoke to him too. That's gonna come out soon. But he sent me a advance of their album, and it was like the most refreshing thing. Like between that and the new Metallica album, where I'm like they don't sound like every other album not you know they're not tuned down it sounds like a real band it's like Mm -hmm. and i'm i'm and you can do this when you listen like a playlist of like the modern metal whatever and it's everything sounds very similar it's all mastered very similar exactly and it's and it's really good but for me the things that grab me lately are stuff that really stands out it's like sleep token is like taken off because it doesn't sound like there it's has elements of things that are modern but they're they're turning left when everyone else is turning right and that's the I, I I wanted to ask you specifically about Sleep Token because um you know anytime other people like something and I don't get it I I want to figure out what they're seeing and hearing and responding to that I don't get. And with Sleep Token I I don't really get it but I would like to. Oh, so you tell you, me it. what tell Wait. me explain it to me. Uh they have a pop singer in the band that would be huge even if he was just a pop singer like, i just wish they played songs that were more pop they do have pop like they have songs on the record that are just pop so it's like uh so if you listen to uh their previous record uh it's really good but it's not like this is changing the game and then when they they put out uh that new song i forget the name of it um the tiktok one I, I guess I don't know TikTok, but whatever. Yeah, the what's first, the funky part in it? Yeah, whatever the first song was yeah. that they released that's coming out on their new album, it was like, oh, this is a game changer. To me, it reminded me when Opeth came out, where you're like, oh, you can do this in metal? And that doesn't happen very often. It happens every no, it five, six years where a band comes out, right. and it's like they do everything well. They're progressed. They're like, it's basically like if you had a gent version of Tool who mm-hmm. also can do these like jazzy R&B parts, but, but I'm telling you, and then they, then you take all that and then they have this fucking image and this concept. Yeah. And that always takes like, you know, something from a marketing standpoint from like a two to a 10. And sure. so to me, and then like, I, if they look like me, they wouldn't be half as popular. Well, you don't know what they look like. Cause they got these talking masks. I mean, they might, I mean, if they went on stage like you. looking like this, you know, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and that's and it's always it's always mattered, right? Like, you know, and to me, they they're like, I think they're going to be the next ghost in terms of the size and their impact. And I just think the songs, man, I think the songs are fucking undeniable. There's such a high level, and it's like, dude, some bands just hit that hit that moment. I think I'm very good at recognizing this, where I'm like, oh, that's it. They hit the they they found the thing, and it's like, and dude, and sometimes it only takes. You only you you don't have to make one all time classic record. Yeah, you're it. It might, you're might made say, forever. Yeah, it's like Guns N' Roses made uh, Appetite for Destruction, and that's it. Every album probably could have sucked. It wouldn't matter. 
Yep. Because it's like you did it. You you hit the final level. Um, and so so yeah, but but I think the key is ultimately like outside of all the proggy stuff they do, they have a singer that is instantly recognizable and is and is a good enough singer. Yeah, he's very good. He he could be a solo artist and be a successful in the pop world all on his own. And I think that just people like that are just rare. There's just not yeah. those. And to have one in metal is kind of crazy. Um, yeah, very rare. Like Noah from Bad Omens is another one of those yeah, people. I think. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Like, um, and it just they're they're just very few and far between. And so you take that with this prog thing, and they do it so well. Like they're musically very very high level. Um, but not in a way that only musicians can understand it. Yeah. Regular, and tools that way too, right? It's very musically complex, but normal people can can comprehend it. Uh, high level songwriting and then this image thing. And there's like a whole like concept and story behind it. All the lore. Yeah. Yeah. Like, and that dude, that people eat that up. And I'm just like, I, I just posted, they sold their entire tour out. And I go, they're playing, they're playing like theaters and they should probably be in like, you know, three, 4,000 cap rooms at this point. But yeah, I mean, if they're selling theaters out in a day. But that's the smart move, though. You sell it out, you build the demand, and you let you know you let you know let people go crazy and sell you know try and get tickets on StubHub and make it a a a, a kind of a fever kind of thing. And uh, but yeah, man, I, I'm dude. I just get excited, man, when there's when new bands come out and take off. It's like it helps the whole scene. And people always a few years ago, everyone's like, "Who's gonna be the headliners?" And now you see them one by one. These bands just keep, you know, they're just rising up. Well, yes, I saw your tweet about this. I, I see your point, but they're still a long way off from being festival headliners. You know, it's still, I, still a lot of these, the old guard up there. I, well, they're up there because we have a, a, a culture. Because they sell that, tickets. Well, yeah, but uh, tickets, but also we, the longer a band is around, the bigger they get. We, we yeah. elevate them and we should. And the reason why is because every time you go see ACDC could be the last time you see ACDC. So it's more valuable each time they perform um, and their legend grows, right? Where each year you're further away, year further away from back in black. And guess what? Every year, a new 15 year old kid discovers that. And it yeah. just adds to that, to, to that lore. And There's I, a new, it is wild to me that you still see like 15 year olds in Megadeth shirts. Like, that archetype of the 15-year-old with the mustache wearing the Megadeth shirt is never going to go away. Do you know why, though? Because there's something. Dude, I learned this. I, I used to teach guitar at, at Guitar Center and uh, School of Rock. And, you know, I was teaching, like, 12-year-old kids. And, dude, and what do they want to learn? ACDC, Led Zeppelin, yeah. Metallica, Pink Floyd. Like, there's, some, there's something about that sound that once mm -hmm. you hit that age it just hits your ears in a certain way. And I don't know if other genres are like that. Like maybe cert certain 12 year kids or certain country music or certain hip hop, like old school hip hop that hits their ears in a certain way. But there's something about with rock music. And to me, metal is just an extension of, of, rock, mu of yeah. rock music overall that just appeals to that teenage brain, you know, that is kind of universal and everlasting. And, and I know, listen, Popular music and recorded music as like a commercial entity is like really young. It's like a hundred years old. So who knows how long that, you know, maybe in a hundred years, it looks totally different. Um, but at least in the kind of modern age of how we kind of uh, absorb this, uh, this media, it's, it's amazing to me. And it always get, but it gets me excited that it gets like young people excited. Like uh, I'm, you know, I play with Rob Trujillo in a band and his son is you know one of the sickest bass players in the world he's like 17 yeah. 18 years old 
and he has this kick-ass thrash. They're young as hell, but they sound like a thrash man from like 1985. And it's like, I'm sure a lot of that has to do with his dad and all that influence, but that sound, man, it just never kind of go, goes away. The same way like hardcore bands always sound like hardcore bands and punk yep. bands always sound like punk bands. Yep. Even if they came out last week, there's something cyclical and kind of beautiful about that, that people always want that whatever, how it came about was special and people still are into that. There's know. a moment at which people perfected the thing and that's what the thing is going to be forever. Yeah. And, I, but I think, it, but I think it's cool. And it's, and it's this thing of, uh, we'll see where it goes, man. I don't know. Like I said, every now and again, you have a, a sleep token or a, a fucking weird band that, you know, baby metal. You're like, what the hell is this? Like that, that's going to happen consistently, but it's, it's these two tracks where that goes. And then sometimes you do something old that feels new because no one's heard it in a while. Like right. a Winehouse, for example, sounds like, you know, a fifties artist, but, yeah. and if it came out in the fifties, she would sound like 10 other people. Or Bruno Mars. Yeah. And I, yeah, and, and that's just, or like even like power trip, right? Like that. Yeah. He sounded like a rise era sepultura, but 20, five years removed and they came out it seemed like the freshest thing in the world you know right well speaking of which uh you mentioned rob trujillo and for anybody who doesn't know you play i guess still do it right the cover band called the wedding band which is rob and kirk from metallica as well as some other people you had like joey castillo from queens of the stone age and mark from death angel and Whitfield Crane and I'm, yeah. I'm John, sure John Theodore is the main drummer. Who's also okay. is a queen is the Sony just currently. Yeah. Got it. Okay. How insane is it to be playing on stage with people from Metallica and these other just absolutely iconic bands? And how did you end up being part of that? Um, well, how does it feel? I mean, truth be told, like I feel like you don't if it felt weird or like I was like overhyped about it, I don't think I would be there. Do you know what I'm but saying? But it's cool. It's super cool. Like I feel grateful and it's, and it's a fun gig because we're playing like Sabbath songs and Judas priest. And I'm an old soul. Like, even though I play a lot of modern metal and I've kind of moved forward in that, like, I like just getting in a room with like loud amps and just playing tunes, you know, and jamming. Like I'm so in, in a weird way, I kind of fit in that mold of like these more old school kind of me- me- mentalities. Um, and I like playing that guitar style. Uh, and it's really fun, but how did it come about? Um, so I, I mean, a lot of it kind of goes back to, I filled in for Lamb of God in 09, um, and toured with Metallica. I did about three weeks. So I got to meet the guys and be familiar with them. And I moved to LA 2014. But first, I want to thank DistroKid for sponsoring this episode of the podcast. If you're not familiar, DistroKid is a digital music distribution service that musicians use to put their music into online stores and streaming services. So in plain language, if you have ever wondered how to get your music on iTunes, Spotify, Apple Music, YouTube Music, Amazon, Deezer, Tidal, and many, many more, there's like dozens and dozens of different streaming services. DistroKid is the way to do it. It is super easy. I have used it to put my music on Spotify. It took me maybe five minutes to like set it up and upload everything. It's legitimately awesome. I am sincerely a fan of this company and their product. And for those of you who have asked, you can also upload your music to TikTok with DistroKid. And if you want a chance to get featured on DistroKid's Spotify playlists, 
You can do that by submitting a song through Spotlight and getting your fans to vote for you. You can also use Hyperfollow to get more Spotify followers. You can promote your new release as well as Spotify Canvas. That's where there's the video in the background in the player and when you share it on Instagram, it shares that video too to make your Spotify release pop. And Spotify Canvas is available to all DistroKid artists. Like I said, as you can probably tell from this, like I am sincerely a fan of DistroKid. DistroKid can do everything I just talked about and so much more. So be sure to sign up with my link, which is in the show notes for this episode, to get 7% off your first year. That link is in the show notes of this episode or go to distrokid.com slash VIP slash the punk rock NBA. And thanks again to DistroKid for sponsoring this episode. After I quit, God forbid, and I was just like, just doing gigs and just trying to, I came out here, I didn't have a dollar to my name. And I, I just like, just went for it, you know? And I was doing this cover band with actually with Ken Schalk from Candiria. Oh, I didn't know that. And Ken was filling in uh, for Rob's other band called, called Mass Mental which is like, uh, it's like two bass players, Benji from Skindred, and uh, he was filling in for Brooks Wackerman, actually who's in Avenged now. And uh, they have two bass players, but this one part in the set where uh, they needed a guitar player to do these Black Sabbath tunes. And Ken was like, oh, I'm, I'm jamming with Doc, and you know, thanks for... Hello, Tom May here, host of Future Friday. I've spent the last 15 years on the road with my band, The Menzingers, where I've met all kinds of wild and fascinating people. So I started a podcast. On Future Friday, I talked to fellow musicians about the moments that made them, their passions outside of music, and the curiosities that tie us all together. I've also talked to the likes of UFO researchers, magicians, soldiers, and documentary filmmakers, and I'm constantly searching for folks that can shape and change our view of the world. You can check out Future Friday wherever you like. The uh, uh, Rob remembered me, you know, from doing the Lamb of God thing, and so they just brought me in to you know play these sabbath songs and and they liked it so we did the gig it was at the whiskey it was the first gig i played in la um i just did two songs i think or three songs and uh and fucking like ozzy was there and stuff mckagan and like i met Stuart copeland from the police he like complimented wow. my guitar playing i was just like it's fucking wild and then you know and i and, and the th i think what they liked about what i did is like you know i came to rehearsal and like they would start playing. I would just start jamming and just, I was very, you know, kind of free. And a lot of, a lot of players, especially in like the metal metal world are not kind of tight. Yeah. It's very rigid. And, and, you know, and I, at that point I had a pretty diverse background in terms of like what I like to do. And, and so I just seemed to fit in and Rob called me the next day and he's like, man, he's like, I, you know, I like, I love the way you play. I love your feel. He's like, man, I love your attitude. He's like, you're going to do great here. And he just kept calling me, you know, but it was mainly for like, uh, you know, rehearsals, like they had another guitar player for the gig, but they needed someone. So I was just like the fill-in guy, like to help them out. You know, I did a couple gigs, but rehearsal. The X-Man. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and then, um, and then Bad Wolves started happening and that was taken off. It was right at the same time Metallica was putting out their last record. And then I remember looking on Blabbermouth, like, oh, the wedding band is doing something. And it was like a lot of the guys from Mass Mental. And I was like, damn, man, that, that's cool, man. That's fucking cool, man. And then I get an email from Rob. He's like, hey, man, wedding band is doing this thing. He's like, but uh, Kirk can't make the rehearsal. Um, do, can you do fill-in? Which I had kind of done before. So I was like, yeah, yeah, sure. And I, I happened to have time off. It's a lot of songs, but some of them I knew. 
I showed up. I was like, I almost, I wish I was like a little bit more prepared, but I was like, I got it done, but I got through the rehearsal and it, it went really well. Like it sounded good. And I was just like, because I just, you know, when you're playing with Rob Trujillo, you want, I, you, you want to like do him proud. You know, I wanted yeah. to like, you know, and that's how, how I always approach everything. And it went so well after the rehearsal. He's like, man, he's like, man, it sounded really good. He's like, man, maybe you know, we might want to get you on this gig. And then, and then he's like, well, let me make some calls. So he's like, he, you know, he does make some calls, wait like half hour. And then he's like, yeah, he's like, you know what, man, we just really don't have the budget for it. But during that half hour, I went from just being happy that rehearsal went well to now thinking about I could actually be playing on stage with these guys. And then so I said, well, I go, well, what if I pay for my own flight? And he goes, all right, well, let me get back to you. And then, uh, you know, a couple hours later, he called me. He's like, well, if you pay for your flight, he's like, we'll take care of hotels and all that stuff. So I did like I I basically did a red eye into Toronto. We did the gig, and I did a red eye and flew. You know, started the Bad Wolves tour with um with Papa Roach, and like it went great. You know, it was fucking. It was it was bad. It was kind of like just a whirlwind <laughs> of of stuff. But then you know, then the, the band kept doing gigs, and they kept calling me back. And now I'm like in the band, you know, and and you know, I'm and I'm really tight with with Rob. You know, I see him a lot, and we talk a lot, and it's like he's kind of like my mentor you know, I feel like in the industry because his career is very similar to mine where he played with certain right. bands and kind of kept moving up the ladder and, but being a professional and being, uh, you know, understanding kind of the job, like people really only see kind of the surface of this, but it's like, it's such like, it is fucking hard work. Like I'm working, I'm working on a gig right now. I've had a day off in a month. <laughs> like, and you don't think about music, being like that you think it's like oh we're gonna party and there's gonna be chicks and like, no like once you get to this point it's it's like any kind of entrepreneurial blue collar like this it's just fucking hours and time and concentration and being a you got to show up for this gig which is not an easy one and you got to be able to play the expectation is that you're going to be able to play all of this stuff when you show up absolutely the same well, as any other job well especially me because i'm in the Eli's environments, I'm the low man on the totem pole. I'm the new guy, right. I'm the young guy. I'm the I'm the one that's doesn't have the, the same resume. So my standards are even higher, right? If I come below a certain standard, then I'm not valuable to any 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 situation. So it's um listen, I I feel super lucky. I mean, the first guitar solos I ever played were Kirk Hammett guitar solos, and to be you know in the same room and jam with them and working on stuff and him showing me stuff and and just. You know, and I'm lucky that I've been, I've played with so many different people that I like, I understand what it is to like blend in and figure out your mm -hmm. role and like, and like, it's all about chemistry, right? Like, I can't, I can't just be in the room and be in doc world. I have to mold myself to fit in with what's happening, you know, um, and be, you know, be, a, be the person who is there to like, make everything work better. And that's it. It's just like being glue you know being you know to, to, to make make everything work together because bands are bands are tough man it's like it, you're only as strong as your weakest link and you got to listen to each other and it's all about the personal and the vibe like that's what people don't really realize they think it's just about playing so much right. it's about hanging out there's plenty of great guitarists out there yeah why would why why are you the guy for the job beyond just what you can play you know the confidence too like for anybody who doesn't know, Ken Schalk, the guy you mentioned before, is from a band called Candiria, and he's a fucking monster, like one of the fucking best ever. And like, 
to have the confidence to get in a room and play with him and Rob Trujillo, like that's fucking intimidating. Well, it's, it's weird, man. I'm not, not because Rob is like famous, but because he's a really good bassist and Ken is a fucking ridiculously good drummer. And it's like, Holy shit. This is a tough room. Rob's the best bass player I've ever played with. And it's not close. Like he's, he's like virtuoso level musician you know it's it's insane you know and but i'm i think i'm my personality is very much contradictory in that i'm eternally filled with self-doubt all the time and then i'm also and arrogance yeah i don't think it's arrogant it's just more like i'm just joking it's like you know what it is it's like i'll be i'll feel that way but once i get in the room i'm like this is what i do do you know what i'm saying like i yeah i prepare incessantly because of anxiety, of fear of failing, you know, fear of, of not, um, you know, of not doing well and not, you know, I, I never want to be the guy to, to disappoint the people around me. Um, but it's this constant dude. It's, it's, I like, I wish I could be this to someone who's just like I'm the man all the time. Cause I just go back and forth and it's fucking, it's so fucking annoying. Yeah. <laughs> and I think, well, you can't perceive yourself how people perceive you. And that's a tough thing. Last thing I wanted to ask you about um, is uh, I, I've been really excited just to see how successful Bad Wolves has been over the past, whatever, I don't know, what has it been, six or seven years or something now? You guys just five keep, years, this weekend. five years, whatever. You guys just keep getting bigger and bigger and bigger from what I can tell, which has been really cool to see. Um, and in particular, you know, replacing a singer is really tough. Like that's usually usually a death blow for a band or at least like a big setback, especially with Tommy being such a big focus and a big personality that it had to be at least a little bit scary, you know, to replace him of like, man, we've come so far, but you know, you got to do what you got to do. It seems like, you know, with getting DL on the band, you guys didn't skip a beat at all. And in my opinion, he sounds a lot better. And I know we talked about it a little bit at the time when you were looking for someone new, but what was going through your head? back then hmm it's a good question like am i gonna have to start all over again you know that kind of thing i listen i think it's very hard to distinguish what we were going through in terms of like you know finding a singer and the acrimony that was being like publicly aired and it was um that environment was very toxic you know and you know, it's like a lot of bands have replaced singers, have replaced members, but very few bands have had like an active public campaign to like thwart the process. Right. Um, and I think unfortunately, I think the, the big, like the long-term lesson from that is that things like that hurt everyone, right? Everyone loses. Um, but it's just something we had, like, I, I, I kind of found a point within that process of going, this is how life is sometimes like you don't get the idealized version of things like this. You are defined by your adversity and how you react to it. So for me, it became a, um, a, a point in my life where I was like, I need to figure out how to be at peace with this and control what I control and go, this is going to be tough, but you're a tough, you know, you will find out how tough you are by how you kind of, kind of deal with it. And I think for us, it was, um, we were under the gun because essentially the label wanted to get a record out like 
ASAP. And we had, a re- you know, almost, you know, 60, 70% of record ready to go. It was just a matter of getting, getting, the, getting the person. So it was a real protracted uh, period of time that we kind of was like, I think maybe we took three or four weeks of like getting demos and people sending stuff in. And then maybe we took another month of like seeing people in person to audition. And then like, and then the last step we had people do uh, like record new songs and kind of all those, those processes of like hearing people on old songs, seeing them in the room, kind of catch their vibe. And then that, that last piece. But you know, the truth is with, with DL, man, he's just, it just sounded the most like the band. Mm-hmm. And he's such a talent. Like, and the truth is like with someone like DL, we felt he'd be such an asset because he's a great producer. He's a great songwriter. You know, yeah. there's, there's songs on the new album. Like he played the guitar solos on two songs and it's like, I can't even go like, no, I need to do It's like, <laughs> Dick as fuck. I'm like, God damn, like he's probably a better guitar player than I am. You know, like it's, you know, it's messed up. Yeah. I, people don't realize what a talented musician he is in general. Yeah. It's, it's actually nuts. Like he's a great drummer and, you know, and, and then on the new album that's not out yet, his voice sounds that much better. His like enunciation is better. He's, he's like, he's doing some rapping shit on there. He's discovered this like death core voice. Like he's, he's kind of one of these guys that can kind of like, not only do a lot, but he's constantly learning new things. And and, and I, I assume you knew him from touring and stuff back in the day, so you had some like personal, oh yeah, comfortability dude, there. Dude, I remember the day I met DL, two thousand four, uh, Casey Strange. He was scary as shit back then too. Well, to me, he 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 reminded me of like the younger version of me because he had a shaved head. He kind of you know he had, we had like the same guitar. You know he yeah he, you know he, look he kind of borrowed the Doc Cole headbang. Like the reason why. I have a, my back is bad now because I had this fucking devastating headbang that probably uh, has cost me some years off of my life. But it was like we would play this venue in uh, in Springfield, Massachusetts called the called Fat Cats, and all like the big metalcore bands, whether it was All That Remains or Unearth or Diecast or Killswitch, they would open up for us when we play there. I don't know why I feel like they were like sandbagging us, but we were just really popular in that <laughs> town. But they would they, we'd always headline, but it always went well. And then, but this time, the case is straight open for us, and it did not go well. These motherfuckers blew us <laughs> off stage. Like, <laughs> like half the place left. I was like, I was dejected. And then, you know, but what made it feel, feel good is, you know, I saw DL play, and then he was like in the front row, like fucking moshing and singing all the words to God forbid. So I do, you know, I was like, oh, he's the homie from day one. He gave, he showed us love, and then we did a couple tours together. And yeah, it's just always, you know, he was on the, he was on my podcast before. You know, way years before he, you know, he was in he was in the band, and so someone. Which to your point before, that's a big part of you know picking someone that you're going to live in a bus with for months out of the year is you need to know this is someone you can get along with. Yeah, I mean, he's so easygoing. You know, he's just you know he's like he's a dad. You know, he's just like yeah. You know, and he's he's just a very very nice person, which is like rare for singers. But I think he doesn't. Even though he's like the singer, he probably doesn't think of himself as a singer. Right. His mind, he's just a guitar player. So it doesn't. And by the way, I still think his guitar tone on Wormwood is like one of the heaviest fucking tones ever recorded. It's absurd. Yeah, it's nuts. I mean, he's an actual, actually a very influential figure for like that whole genre that I feel yeah. like because he, he stopped touring with the band and kind of went, became a behind the scenes guy. Like, unless you were around back then, a lot of people don't realize how much. He influenced so many people that there's the local yeah. tunings and those riffs and 
you know, he's just one of those guys. And it's it's ironic now because now, like, he wants to do the most poppy shit with that battle. He doesn't want to play any of that shit. <laughs> you know, huh. um, but but yeah, but that that process, man, it was it was it was harrowed. But, you know, we felt like it wasn't like it was this weird thing where you thought, oh, man, we're, we're in this big band and there's just going to be like a hundred people out there that can do the, and mm-hmm. it was when you f- go out there and you really look for people that can do a diversity of things and also like kind of fit a sound. It's like, you realize, Oh, there's about like four. Yeah. Like a people that actually could make sense for this, for this job. And it's, yeah. you know, and, and you hear it all the time, especially out in LA. Cause it's like, people will be putting band together. So, you know, any singers and you're like, and like, well, I need to, you know, and basically they all want the same thing. They want someone, they want someone who's 25 who mm-hmm. looks cool who's got like a neck tattoo, who, you know, who could sing, who could scream, who, you know, doesn't party too hard that like, and th- th- they just don't make the, like those people are just, they're one in a million. Maybe there's some guy in Sweden or some girl somewhere, you know, that, that, that has all that stuff. But usually those people are, they have to go out on, on their own band and become that person. Mm-hmm. Um, but in most of those people that can do that are already in bands. You know, so it's it's rare where you just kind of find like this diamond and this superstar in the in in the making. Um, but uh, but we listen, we had some we had some great candidates, but uh, everyone ultimately felt DL was the was was the best choice. And he's he's done a great job. And, he, and a lot of it is learning on the job, you know, like because we knew the recordings. He was going to be amazing. It was like but the the job that was really new to him was being the front man playing live, going out there and kind of like, how would he connect to the crowd? How would he talk to people? How would he move? Like he had to learn that stuff kind of on the fly, you know, and he just, in every tour, he got better and better and better and better. And I think, you know, now we go out do shows. It's like, I know he's going to kill it, you know, because he's got the reps in and he's a, he's a hard worker. Um, and, you know, and he's super dedicated, you know, and, and for us, like, you know, from the outside looking in, of course, it, it looks like, you know, things are just perfect. But, you know, it, it is a rebuilding process for us. Like we've, you know, you know, if you kind of have some wins going against you, you have to kind of re kind of calibrate yourself. And so for us, it was a lot of that was just like getting on the road, being in front of the people, showing kind of the new package. And but we did feel like the last record because of everything was like rushed out a little bit. And the setup wasn't exactly what we wanted it to be. And all that's trying to be correct on this next record, which feels in more ways like the first record with DL, because he was there from the entire beginning right. of the process. And I think it's more reflective of what he wants. You know, there's a couple, two or three songs that are just his songs, you know. And with someone who's a musician of his caliber, you know, you you want him there from the beginning. Absolutely. Well, we're almost in a situation now because our original guitar player, Max, came back, who started the band with John. And he's a fucking musical genius too. So it's like, there's so much kind of writing talent and, and, you know, he's a great producer as well. Like where it's like, it's hard to even get John is super talented for anybody who doesn't know. Yeah. John's the the maestro. All right. John's the guy, yeah. like, you know, some of the best songs, this record are like John songs where he's, you know, cause John, like he's a good guitar player. He's a good drummer, but he's more like the guy that like will be with the producer and kind of like, orchestrate people to get the, the the final product it's really brilliant and he's like he'll he'll work for like 15 hours in a row he like he has no <laughs> he has no like chill unlimited <laughs> motor yeah. you know um and uh and yeah so it's it's a it's a very dynamic environment of just a lot of creative people and and also you know the producer we work with we work with um joseph mcqueen and, and josh 
from um as they die now in spirit box you know worked a lot on the record and so you know it's a lot of a lot of talent the new shit's sick man it's like i'm really excited for people to hear it i don't know when it's going to come out um because we basically finished a version of the record and then our label always goes like make write more and they always send us back to do more songs and so we'll see hopefully we get a song out this summer or something um even if the record doesn't come out till late this year or next year but it's i think people are really gonna dig it you know Cool. Well, I will let you go, but uh, always great to talk to you, and I'm excited to hear it, and uh, good luck with all things Twitch. Thank you so much. You know, one of these days I have to get you back on the show, and so I have to wait for, like, topics to build up, you know, mm-hmm. and then and I could and then I could get, get, get all of it, because I just, I love talking to you. I love your opinions. I love arguing with you. It's one of my favorite things to do, uh, and sometimes I argue with you, I'm here, like, what'd you say? Ben, what do you say about that album? You you actually you talk shit about some band. Oh, I forget what it was. And it was like maybe it was Megadeth or something. I was like, you're like System like, of Down, maybe. I don't know. I get a lot like, of this is objectively takes. not good. I'm like, man, you don't don't talk to me, Finn. Don't talk to me, Finn. I will kill you. <laughs> All right. Well, anytime you know where to find me. Always uh, good to talk to you. So I will. Uh, yeah, I'll talk to you then. Take care, brother. Thanks for having me. Bye bye. I'll see you. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Chumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to Chumbacasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Ready for a head-bangingly good time? Dive into the world of heavy metal with the Brutally Delicious podcast. Here, we don't just talk music. We welcome you into our heavy metal family. Join us for candid chats with legends and rising stars. We go beyond the typical interviews, exploring raw emotions and the life-altering impact of heavy metal. So whether you're a diehard metalhead or just curious, join our family and let the headbanging begin with the Brutally Delicious Podcast. Welcome.